Welcome to Iro Live with host Bob Bay. Well, you know, we're all really that way. We feel like we're not in control. We feel like we're out of control. We feel like everything's out of control. But yet, when we face situations, we're threatened to lose what we have, or it could end up that we don't get what we think we should get. We start manipulating and scheming. And I, those are my words to describe. Maybe you don't do that, but that's what I did. I would manipulate and scheme and connive and everything so that I can get what I thought I wanted or keep what I thought I had. And it was terrible because really most of the time it would end up never working out like the way I wanted. I would always end up screwing it up worse than it could have been. Now when I face a situation and it's like, this is not going to go the way I want it to. But I always say to myself, let it play out, Bob. God's in control. And I try to keep my hands off of it. And he always takes care of it. Sometimes it's not how I think it should be done, but it's always better. We were talking about Moses leading the children of Israel through the wilderness and how it's like we're all in wilderness experiences. But then we came to this part where God filled some of these people to help Moses with the spirit of God. And they began to prophesy. And most people don't know what that means when they start talking about prophesying. They think it's like fortune telling and all of that. And it does deal with foretelling, but not all the time. And so we've talked about the different parts of that because God wants us to know what's going on. He knows exactly what's going on. You know, I was talking about controlling things and being in control. If you were driving down the road and you knew, like say you're going down Broadway and you knew that that bridge over the River de Pere was out, you would want somebody to put a sign up, right? You would want somebody to let you know something's coming up ahead. Or to have something prepared for somebody to be out there so that you're not alone going through life. You're not alone facing everything by yourself. And so we've talked about how God uses prophecy and he wants that in our lives to help edify us. And that word just simply means to help us grow to help edify us, to encourage us, and to comfort us. Whenever you're not feeling well, those three things will take care of it. Encouragement, comfort, and growth in the situation. Tonight, we're going to see prophecy in action through Jesus. So we're going to go to John chapter 4, and I'm going to read this to you. And I'm going to give you some commentary on it, on this story and what's going on. But so in John chapter 4, Jesus and they uh, left Judea, him and the disciples, and they're on their way to Galilee, and they had to go through Samaria. And it, it says in there, but he needed to go through Samaria. And it doesn't tell us why he needed to go through at that point, but I believe that the story we're about to hear tells us why. It says he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. You guys remember us talking about Joseph? Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. So it's in the afternoon, late afternoon, and he sits down. He's tired. Yeah, even Jesus got tired. He was walking around in a body. And a woman of Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? 
for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. The Samaritans were actually were descendants of Jacob, just like the Jews were, but they're through a series of events, the uh, tribes were separated, the people were separated, the Samaritans, this is a quick version, the Samarians built their own temple over here, and so the Jews had, who had their temple in Jerusalem said, those people are terrible, because they built this temple, and this is the only real temple, and we're the only right ones, and the Samaritans were like, no, we're the only right one. That's the quick version of it. So by the time Jesus gets here, the Jews wanted nothing to do with the Samarians, And Jesus was a man, and during that time, it's not that way now, but during that time, men wouldn't normally have anything to do with women in that situation, especially a Jewish man and a Sumerian woman. And so she's like, what's going on here? And so Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, sir... You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well, and drink from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst But the water I shall give him will become a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Now, Jesus is obviously talking about figuratively. It's not actually a drink in a cup. But this is the thing that we always see when Jesus is working and when the apostles are working and when the gifts of the Spirit are at work. The first part of this is is Jesus always challenges people's set of beliefs or their way of thinking about things. He always comes to people and he challenges them and he, and he does that usually by asking questions or doing things that they think he shouldn't be doing. <laughs> he always lays this on them and he always questions them about who do you think you are? Why is it you think the way you do? How do you know that that's right? And so he's, he's telling her, her idea, her idea of worshiping God is the one that she had been raised with. She was a Samaritan, and they were raised believing a certain set of beliefs. And here Jesus comes along and says, it's not, that's not the case. And so he challenges her set of beliefs. So then he goes on. And so the woman says to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. She has to know that he's talking figuratively, but she puts it back to him. Okay, let's see it. Give me this water so that I don't get thirsty again and I don't have to come here and draw water out of this well. I think she's being a little sarcastic, right? Wouldn't you guys do that? It'd be like, okay, let's see it. Put your money on it. Come on, let's see it. Let's see what you got. Jesus is good about throwing people off guard in a good way. And so this is what Jesus says to her. Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have said, Well, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have now is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. You Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, 
Believe me, the hour is coming. So this is the next thing that Jesus always does. This is giving us an example. So I'm kind of teaching about talking to other people about Jesus too. But this is what Jesus always does to us. First, he confronts our set of beliefs, but then now he's going to state his authority. And there are different ways that he does it. Throughout scriptures, throughout the Bible, he does it. And you guys may know about this from examples. He'll do signs and wonders or miracles or through the authority of the word. He always establishes his authority. And so he says, listen, you can trust that what I'm about to tell you or what I have told you is the truth because, and he has these things that happen to establish his authority. And what does she say? What she said, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And it's just like back when Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount and the people told him, this guy talks like he speaks with authority, like he knows what he's talking about. He's not like those people in church. This guy talks like he lives this stuff. And so Jesus says to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So he just says, I am he. So the woman went away to tell all of these people. The last part of it is, is after Jesus confronts, he confronts their set of beliefs, he establishes his authority, and then he brings her to a point of decision. He always does that, brings people to a point of decision, whatever that may be. And her point of decision is, is listen, you're going to have the choice. You can worship me. Now, I've told you who I am. You can follow me. Or you can keep doing whatever it is you want to do. Well, we know what choice she made because she ran off to tell other people. And she said, and if you read down in verse 39, it says, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with him, and he stayed with them two days, and many more believed because of his own words. Now, this is something I want to point out to you, and this is the cool thing about Jesus, because not only was he willing to talk to this woman who other people would not have talked to, he wasn't just telling her he knew all about her life. It was the one thing he told her about the husbands, the five husbands and that, but that wasn't what she told the other people. She said, he told me everything about my life that had happened. So this is what they're saying. Jesus knew everything about her. Jesus knew all the good, the bad, and the ugly. He knew all of the stuff, and yet he still came to her. He still wanted her. He still loved her. And wanted to give her this opportunity. We're in the same place today. That's what happens today. Jesus comes to us and says, listen, your idea of who I am, who God is, is 
probably not the right idea. That's the way it was for me. When I was first got off of meth, I believed that God was this thing out there that was just waiting for me to mess up so he can punish me. That's what I believed. I mean, that was in a nutshell, and it played out in a lot of different ways. And it took me time to be open and learn that that's not who God is. God actually wants to take me by the hand and lead me through life and give me the strength to overcome things, to make it through the battles that I have, and he'll fight them for me. And the only thing I had to do was just to let go. I had to give up control. So it meant when God would bring me to a crossroads in my life, and I call it hitting bottom at different times, that day at 10 o'clock in the morning, sitting at my kitchen table, looking at, at 10 o'clock in the morning, looking at a beer and thinking, I cannot keep doing this. And God had done some things leading up to that point. Pam was ready to leave me. My brother was gone. There was just all of this stuff was going on. And it's like, I cannot keep living like this. I cannot do this. It was 10 o'clock in the morning. And it's like, if I don't do this now, when will I ever do it? If it doesn't happen now, when will it ever happen? I had been saying, I will tomorrow for a long time. I had been trying to get off meth by just smoking weed or drinking, but I would get drunk and I would say, hey, let's go get some meth. Because I couldn't say no once I started drinking. So I couldn't switch things off. I couldn't do that. I had to come to a point where it was like, okay. And God brought me that morning at that sitting at that kitchen table. It wasn't in a church service. It wasn't some big earth-shaking, earthquake, clouds parting. It was me sitting there in that moment realizing if I kept doing what I was going to do and I was going to die. I would leave Pam without a husband. I would leave my daughter without a father, my brother without a brother. My parents without a child. And it's just like, I just got to do it. It's time. It's time. And that was the crossroads. So it wasn't this thing where I said, you know what? I'm going to quit doing meth and I'm going to quit drinking because everything's going to be wonderful. Nope. It was, I can't keep doing this. I give up. And God did something in me. He did something. Actually, the story's in my book because I wrote a book about that and about that moment and realizing and then the actions, the steps that I took after that. I had to go and set fire to every bridge in my life so I couldn't go back. I went to my commander and I told him I got a drug problem and I need help. The minute I did that, I was in the army. The minute I did that, I just put a big sign on my back. And if I messed up again, I was going to jail. Everything that I had was put on the line. Because I had to. That's what I had to do. Thanks for listening. Please comment and subscribe for upcoming podcasts. To order your copy of My Real Life, go to the Take Action page at our website, reallifeministries-stl.com or go to Real Life Ministries STL on Facebook.